0: We have made it to the end of 1 Corinthians. (laughs) Woohoo! It has been a very good series. It's been a long series, but it's been very rich and very good. So if there's parts that you have missed, let me encourage you. It's all online. You can go back. You can check out the different sermons and, and what we have journeyed through. And maybe some of those, as you're thinking about life and how uh, just things are going right now. There are some, some sermons right in the middle when you start getting right like around 7 through 13 <laughs> that are really powerful and really meaningful. And so um, those I would say those are worth our time to go back and, and just every once in a while check in and say, yeah, that was, that was meaningful. There's things there that Paul was saying through the Holy Spirit to instruct us and guide us. And today we get to Wrap it up, and Paul, as, as he does, is going to give greetings and give those, those last farewells, and, that, and his intention is to come back and forth to Corinth. So this is just the first of, of two letters that we have, but it's thought that there's probably more correspondence that's happened between him and this church. But what we have in the Scriptures is First and Second Corinthians. So he's, he's in the middle of a relationship with them, just as God's in the middle of a relationship with us. He's speaking to us. He's talking to us. He's, he's calling us to walk with him. So we get to see this uh, final wrap-up today of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, I'm going to just read uh, the ending here, and then we'll walk through the, the chapter section by section. So this is what it says. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus amen. I was recently sitting with uh, one of the guys from church, and, and we were discussing what was going on in our lives. We, it was our 3D group time, and we spent a lot of time talking about the, the bigger issues uh, and how we should respond to our respective situations. And, and then when we were done, and we we're about ready to leave, uh, <laughs> as, as often, he asked, well, is there anything else Anything else I can pray for before we go? Now, at this point, and this happens usually every week, at this point, we've, we've done that Midwest thing where we've said goodbye a couple of times. We picked up our phone and checked the time, you know, several times to see, you know, how late we are, you know, and how upset our wives will probably be. <laughs> um, but still, we managed to talk for probably another 5, 10 minutes. You know, we just continue to, to, to talk about those last things and you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you know those goodbyes, uh, that that dance we kind of do when we go to our friend's house and we've had dinner and good conversation, maybe play games or did something with them, and then it's time to leave. And it's like, you got to say goodbye two, three times. You get your shoes on, you say goodbye. You put your coat on, you say goodbye, you know. and And then inevitably, there's always like a few conversations that happen in there of things that you just didn't quite talk about. Well, that's chapter 16. <laughs> that's the feel of it. Like, He's getting ready. He's talked about a lot of really deep, meaningful things about life transformation, how, how we need to be conformed and transformed. And, and he's talked about all kinds of things happening in the church and in their lives. And he's ready to wrap up. And yet he still has a few more exhortations that he wants to give. So look at verses one through four. He says, they will accompany me. Now, now, Paul is concerned that the Corinthians remember their brothers and sisters in Christ and their needs. There, there was some sort of collection that was talked about to help the church in Jerusalem, and the church in Corinth was going to help. So Paul makes sure that they're able to maximize their help that they could give by by planning ahead. He wants them to, to really consider what they will give, and to plan on what they will give, and not just haphazardly give. We should all be giving, but he, he wants them to really consider it. The Jerusalem church, it uh, grew rapidly at the day of Pentecost, and many who had traveled to Jerusalem and came to Christ, as well as others who were already in the city, uh, they all stayed together. They, they formed that first Congregation, that first church, and there became a great need there in Jerusalem. And and so, this is what they're helping with. They're helping with the needs there. They're helping with the widows that are talked about in Acts. They're helping with orphans. They're helping with those who stayed and are trying to find a new life in Jerusalem. They've traveled from outside the city. They've planted themselves there because they wanted to be in fellowship. And so, there's a great need in this church. And and so Paul had asked others to help as they could as well in the other churches in the surrounding area. So he even mentions here that he spoke to the church in Galatia about this. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this. It says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they should be circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So they were asked, would you just remember us? So they were given the green light to continue in ministry. They said, but as you go, will you just remember us here? He wants them to be praying for them. They want them to remember the poor and the needy that are in Jerusalem. And he says, that's the very thing we want to do. Like We want to remember our brothers and sisters. We want to help where we can. And so at the church in Galatia, he says, hey, I know that we got stuff going on here but where there's need we should try to minister to them as well. Because they've taken care of Paul and they sent Paul to them. They're taking care of their spiritual need by sending one to them. There's a there's a give and take that happens. There's a a reciprocation of of care that happens here. So taking care of the poor and the widows, those are activities that the church has historically always done, as well as giving benevolence to those who are truly in need and supporting kingdom ministers and ministries as well. So there are passages in the Scripture as we look through the Scriptures that tell the church, that tell us that we are to be wise with our resources. For example, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, that'll be up on the screen here, but Paul says in that passage that if a person refuses to work, with the assumption that he's able to work, well, then he should not eat. He is—he's—he's he's telling the church that they should take care of those who need to be taken care of. In this passage, meaning that the church should not take care of those who would freeload off the church. That they should be put to, to service. They should be working, as well. In First Timothy chapters five and into chapter six, Paul exhorts the church to make sure that those who can provide for their families do so. He's saying if you can provide for your family, you should do so. You shouldn't be asking the church. But if you cannot, and it's legitimate, then the church can help. So that those who are asking for help are not wasting the resources of the king in the kingdom. He also says that in those chapters that those who ask for help, they should be vetted. They should be spiritually looked at. Are they living in a way that is going to squander the resources? Are they prodigally living? Are they living away from God? So if they come to the church and their lifestyle is in rebellion and it's going after the world and they say, hey, I didn't make it this month, can you help me? Paul would say, no. No. Like Repent, return, get get things in order. Let us help you as you walk after Christ. But we're not going to just throw this... Uh, money to you or give this resource to you or give this need to you so that you can continue living in rebellion. So it's very clear that we're, we're wise with the resources, but we're always giving where it's, where it's right. And when help is is given, it should be for the most basic of living. He also says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, he says, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. As he's talking about giving in those chapters, he's saying, you know, we're, we're providing for the basic needs of one another. We're looking out for the welfare and the concern for one another. So, so with some of these principles in mind, the church is taking an offering to care for those in Jerusalem, for those who have need, legitimate need. So the word collection in this passage, he says now concerning the collection, that word collection in this passage is logia. And in the Greek, it means an extra collection. It's it's one that is freely given. It's not compulsory. It's not like you must do this. He's saying this collection we're taking is one that you're just giving on your own accord. It's, It's freely given. He's not making or demanding it, but he wants them to consider. He wants them to give. So what Paul is talking about here is is what we often call an offering. Now, an offering is different than a tithe. So there's tithes and offering. Usually we stick those words together and we say, oh, have you given your tithes and offering to the church? What he's talking about here is an offering. A tithe is given as an act of worship for the work of the kingdom. It's an offering of thanksgiving back to God for His provision for all that he's provided, you say, Lord, for what you have given to me, I give the first fruits back to you, back to the kingdom work, back to the calling that you've placed on our fellowship to provide for the needs and the services and the things that we're doing here. I give this back as an offering. It's an act of worship. The tithe is something we are commanded to do. We are commanded to give thanksgiving back to God and, and give tithe. An offering is something that we pray about and and the spirit moves and we say, yes, this is something that God is is really placed on me that I should be a part of. I should give to this. And we give out of out of the the moving of the spirit of what God is prompting us to give. It's not now I need to have this from each person and a pledge and your pledge must be a percentage of this or that or none of that. It's I've prayed about it and God has told me and my family that we are going to give this. This is what we're going to do. If we think about Barnabas, he was known as the son of encouragement. His selling of land and giving that to the church in the book of Acts, that's an offering. No one said he had to sell his land. No one said he had to give that money. No one forced him or made him do that. He said, I see the need. I've been praying about it. I have this land, you know what, I'm going to sell it and just give the money to the apostles in the church and let them meet the needs of the people. That's an offering. That, that is something that he's giving freely. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, as we pray about the needs of our brothers and sisters, let's do it with purpose. Let's, let's really think about what God wants us to give. So Paul is telling them that the provision they will help with is to be from the heart, and it's settled between them and the Lord. And, and, and with that, he gives a couple of guidelines as to how they m- collect their, their resources together. He says on the first day of their week, they, he says for them to set aside what they can and store up the provision. So Paul knows that if they plan to live sacrificially every week, it will add up to more than if they just gave at the moment Paul is there. He encourages them and he's encouraging us to plan our giving. I mean, think about what what do you give to? What is it that the Lord has placed on you and maybe on your family to be a part of? What ministries do you feel compelled to give to? And then how do you give, as Paul's talking about, proactively and not just in the moment or, oh, yeah, I got a few bucks to throw at it. That's today. Oh, yeah, let me see what I have. I mean, God will use those offerings. But Paul's saying if we're really proactive with it, we can do more. We could be a better blessing. We could be a bigger blessing. So he wants us to, to give with, with purpose, trying to be the biggest blessing possible to those who are in need. As we pray over what we give to beyond the tithe the lord encourages us to do what we can to maximize it so we may very well be the answer to another person's prayer where they're saying lord give me this day my daily bread as we're praying about god what would you give have me give beyond the tithe like i i, I hear about this need for this missionary or i hear about this ministry or i hear about this this person in need in our fellowship, Lord, what would you have me give? And as the Spirit speaks and He says, live sacrificially and I want you to, to give this much. I want you to, to provide this need. You may be answering that prayer. So we, we pray and we're like, the Lord provides all our needs in Christ Jesus. And we say that, that Lord's prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Well, where do you think that comes from? It comes from His people moved by the Spirit. He has all the resources, and yet his delight and his joy is to move those resources through your hands. So like we are the blessing and the answer to those prayers. And so when we don't do it with purpose, when we're not really listening to the Spirit, we're not maximizing the blessing that God would have you to be. And Paul says, I want you to be the biggest blessing that you can, that you can just Be very proud of what God has done in your life and how he has moved through you and how you were able to provide to the maximum amount to the needs of others. So he hasn't asked anybody to go destitute or without or anything. He just says, as you have prayed about it, set it aside and just store it up. He doesn't want there to be an offering when he gets there. He wants it to already have been planned. So he, he doesn't want to manipulate them. That's what he's getting at. He doesn't want to manipulate or make anyone feel that they've been manipulated when he comes. He wants each person to settle their gift. He wants it to be settled, prepared. He wants it to be brought when he arrives. So when we give to the work of the ministry or to the needs of others, we want to give from a heart and not in response to a high-pressure fundraising program. This is one of the areas that the church has often... Been criticized, isn't it? I mean, they feel like you walk through the doors and it becomes a fundraising time of the service. And it's like all of a sudden there's the pressure to give and the pressure on the tithe and the pressure on the offering. And 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 they, you know, they they'll do it again and again and again. And and so outsiders look at it and they just say, this isn't an act of worship. This feels like I'm being coerced. This feels like I'm being manipulated. And so they they look at it and and they say the church just wants the money. They're just milking the faithful. They're just taking their resources. So they would say, why should I even consider the church? I mean, that's one of the criticisms that the world has of the church, is it not? And that's one of the reasons that we, here at The Bridge, what we do is we have our offering and tithe boxes on the back. We don't want to manipulate anyone. We don't want to coerce you. We want you to have it settled. So when we talk about Ministries and resources that are needed in that that's between you and the Lord to give your offering, and you give it you know the left hand doesn't see what the right hand's doing. you give it in secret in the box we don't make a big deal of of the tithe and and say you have to tithe we don't want to manipulate or coerce someone in worship so that they're pretending to look righteous to their neighbor when their heart's not in the tithe or the offering we want it to be given with the right attitude, the right heart. So, so we have set up our offering here at the bridge the way we have. Is it wrong to have an offering in the service? No. But we just need to be careful that as we do it, the tithes are seen as an act of worship and offerings are seen as something that's between the person and God and it's settled in their heart and we don't judge whether they give or they don't. So Paul's saying, settle this and give as God has directed you. Because he doesn't want them to feel coerced and manipulated. The day he shows up and they're like, oh man, I didn't, I gotta, you know, I gotta run to the ATM and get some money real fast. So I, I, I'm not the only guy there without something to give. Like, no, I've, I've already settled it. We brought it. Paul showed up and we brought the offering that he's gonna take. So, There's that blessing. He's like, as I get ready to sign off, he's like, hey, remember the poor? (laughs) Remember those outside of the church? I know we've talked for 15 chapters about you guys in the church, but remember those who are outside the fellowship. Remember those who have need. Remember those who we can be a blessing to with the resources. So from the blessing of giving, Paul moves to an example of ministry and how ministry can be a blessing. And we can be a blessing to others in that way. As well, So, verses 5 through 11, we read this. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, For a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So verses 5 and 6... Talk about his travel plans. He's like, okay, here's my itinerary. I'm getting ready to to go, and I want you to just kind of be aware of what's happening with me as they're corresponding. And he talks about his travel plans, but notice what he's hoping for in his travels. In verse 5, he wants to visit them as well as others in Macedonia. He's like, I I will go through Macedonia, and I do want to see you. I'm going to spend time with you. For Paul, this is most likely to impart something to them, to to better them spiritually, to to encourage them, just as he will want to do as he talks to the the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he says this. He says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That's his heart. Like when he's around people, he wants to be a blessing to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to build them up. So that's part of what he wants to do here. He's like, here's my travel plans, and I want to come to you, and I want to build you up. Verses 6 and 7, he not only wants to see them, but would like to have their support while he is with them. He's like, as much as I want to see you and bless you, you can be a blessing to me. Like You can minister to me. Paul has in mind meaningful relationships Meaningful relationships. Christianity was was meant to be lived, was not meant to be lived in isolation, but it was meant to be lived in community. It's it's the community of faith that helps us to be changed, it helps us to be sanctified. So consider this in the context of, of Christ loving his bride and the church. Ephesians 5, verse 25 says this, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So when giving instruction about marriage in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that Jesus loves the church and he laid down his life for her. And it goes on to say that he cleansed her and he cares for her and he becomes one with her. So then Paul says husbands do the same for their wives. So a question for us to consider is this. How do we find ourselves, and I'm saying we in a general sense here, how do we find ourselves so free to criticize and to minimize the significance of church and the role that it plays in spiritual lives? I mean, Paul's talking about meaningful relationships, and when we look at our culture today, it seems to be the opposite. We're so free to criticize and minimize church. There's so many that would say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I don't need the church. I don't want to be a part of the church. I have Jesus, that's enough. I have my quiet time. I, I do my own private worship, I, but I don't need this, what we're doing here. I believe if you love Jesus then you love what he loves. He loves the lost. He loves the hurting. He loves those who will follow him. He loves the church. We should love the church. Paul points out that it it shouldn't just be for him that they care, but for all who come to minister and labor on their behalf. So here, he's talking about Timothy coming and, and ministering to them. He's talking about, Others who would come and minister to them as well. This idea of relationship. We need relationship. Verses 10 and 11, when he talks about Timothy, he says this. When Timothy comes, see see to it, see that you... I'm sorry. Let me start that one over. Verse 10, he says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. So allowing Timothy, allowing Timothy to be a blessing to them, to come and minister to them, that's his gift. He's a teacher of the Word of God. He encourages, he's, he's instructing, he's doing the same type of work that Paul's doing. So allowing Timothy to be a blessing to them, in turn, is a blessing to Paul. Because Paul knows that they're being encouraged and built up. His care is for them. He wants them to be around men who will instruct them and move them forward in their spiritual walk. And he says, I'm sending Timothy. And if you'll let him minister to you, you're also ministering to my soul, to me. I am am being blessed knowing that Timothy's doing this work. All that each of us do in serving and ministering to one another has a multiplying effect. We build up others just as we are built up and in turn even more are encouraged and strengthened by our service. So you each, each one of you in here today, you have a role to play. You have a role to play in the sanctification of others just as others have that same role in your life. Yet when we only serve and we do not allow others to serve us, what we do is we rob the body of the blessing of having its joy magnified as it serves. Ministry is always a two-way street and never a one-way road. I need you and you need me. That's how it works. Together, building each other up. This is how Christ designed it and how Paul is encouraging us to live. So community groups, 3D accountability groups, uh, serving in the body in different ministries, allowing others to serve in areas of gifting for you. Uh, All this, it works together. All of this works together to see the kingdom of God manifest itself among us. Like if we say, oh, I want to see the kingdom of Jesus come, well, then all of us are a part of that. We're all working in that. We're all putting our hands to, to the task that God has for us. And that means we need to allow others to serve us just as we need to serve others. We all have a part of this. And, and that's what Paul is talking about. He says this is how we deepen and mature in the kingdom by allowing People to minister to us and us ministering to others. Verse twelve, he says this. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come. Now, he will come when he has opportunity. Now, remember, Apollos was at the beginning of this letter, and some were saying I'm of Apollos, some were saying I'm of Paul. Apollos several times when he's mentioned in scriptures, he's actually put with. Apostles, I was with Paul, I am with Cephas, I am of Apollos. There's another passage that talks about Cephas and John and Apollos. Like, he's placed in this category of these men who teach and, and, and work in the church. But yet, Apollos says, I, I'm not coming, Paul. <laughs> Paul's like, I want you to go, and he's like, no, not right now. Paul wants the Corinthian church to grow and mature, and knowing that, the ministry of Apollos would greatly help them. It would greatly help them, and he would encourage them. So he says, I wanted Apollos to come. I encourage Apollos to go and see see you before I came to see you. However, Apollos was engaged elsewhere. He's he's doing other things. He's, He's ministering and meeting needs in other areas, and so he says no to Paul's request. He said no to the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about if the Apostle Paul asked you to do something, you'd be like, "I'll just drop what I'm doing." Yeah. Paul comes to Apollos and says, "Hey, I need you to drop what you're doing and go see these guys." He says, "No, because that's not what the Lord has called me to do. At least not right now. I'll go when I have time. Here's what I should be doing. Here's what I have to put my hand to." This example of saying no was such a blessing to me uh, when I read it. It should be a blessing to you, the, this example of being able to say no. There will always be a need, but there is not always a call. That was said to me when I was a young man in seminary. Uh, it, it, it was such a, a freeing truth. It was shared by a professor when I was at Southeastern, and I knew that what he said when he said it, that I knew that was true. Like I knew that in my head. But to hear someone say it to me, to have a professor look at me and say, Rob, you're going into ministry. There's always going to be a need. There's not always a call. You don't have to say yes to everything. That that was so freeing to me that I have a responsibility only to say yes to what the Lord asks of me. That's what you put your hand to those things that God has called you to do those things that he has directed you to be a part of those ministries he says invest your time here you say yes to the lord and those other things for a season you can say no to them here we see paul asks something of apollos and he stays faithful to what the, and apollos stays faithful to what the lord has him doing in that season of time so apollos was ministering but he knew what he was supposed to be about, and right now it wasn't to be in Corinth. Too often when we find people in the church, and you may be one of those people, when we find those in the church who will serve, we're going to ask you to do a lot of stuff. <laughs> we're like, well, ask them. We've asked everybody else. Well, ask them. They'll say yes. We know who those people are. We we come to them, and, and they end up being like Jim Carrey and Yes Man. I don't know if you've seen that, but... In that movie, he just he feels guilty if he, if he says no to something. If he wants to make a wise choice and say no, he just heaps on this guilt to himself. Well, we are to serve. We are to serve. We are to put our hands to stuff and, and, and work for the king and for the kingdom. But the question is, are we serving out of our calling? Are you serving out of what you're called to do? So Apollos would not be sidetracked saying he would he would come and minister when he could. And we should not feel guilty saying no to ministry if we are doing what we know the Lord would have us to do. Paul would encourage us, as he does those in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You have been called to something. The assumption is you will... Put your hand to that. Too often we use the excuse, well, I don't know what the Lord wants for me, so I'm going to say no to everything. No, He's he's calling you into something. He's giving you gifts and talents and abilities. He's giving you spiritual gifts. He's giving you things that you can be about in the church and, and things that you can be about in the kingdom and serving and ministries. And so often we don't want to say yes because that means we have to say no to other things that we want, not necessarily what the Lord wants, Paul's saying you should be saying yes to the Lord in something. There should be ministry that you're doing. But when people come and ask you to do other ministry, you have the right to say no because you're doing the calling of the Lord already. You're walking in a manner worthy of the calling which you have. So we all work together and we work for the kingdom. We put our hands to Jesus' work as the Spirit calls us. And he goes on to say this about the work. Verse 13 and 14. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. So these terms in this verse right here, these two verses, they're like military terms. He says, be watchful. They're the watch. To to be continually on guard lest they're surprised by their enemies. He says stand firm in the faith. So he says keep your ranks. Don't be disorderly. Be determined to keep your ranks unbroken. Keep close together. He says act like men. In the Greek, that's the actual that's really the translation act like men, but what is meant there is be brave. That's how they would say be brave. Act like men. So, when you are attacked, he's saying, Don't flinch, don't don't draw back, maintain your ground, resist, press forward, strike home, keep compact, conquer. He says, Do these things that brave soldiers would do. He says, Be strong. If one company or division is opposed by too great a force of the enemy, strengthen that division, strengthen those brothers and sisters, maintain your position summon up all your courage, sustain each other. Fear not, for fear will take your nerve. That's what he's saying in these two verses. So he's saying as you're ministering to one another and you're putting your hands to those things that God's calling you to do, you're all part of this great military team for for Jesus. You're, you're working for the king in the kingdom. And he says, so be together. You all have your jobs. Do your jobs and, and walk in those. Be watchful. Stand firm in faith. Act like men or be brave. Be strong. So he's encouraging them in all that they do. But in all of this, he says, "Let all that you do be done in love." And all of this, 1 Corinthians 13, I think, kind of creeps in as he's giving that exhortation, like, "Go get them, guys, you know? Uh, as he's doing that, I think First Corinthians creeps in, and he says, "You know, in 1 Corinthians 13:3 he says, "If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing." He's saying here, he's like, if we do all these things, we act like men and we do all this for the kingdom, but we do it not out of love, we're not gaining anything. It all has to become, it all has to come from a place of love. It was, it was what Paul encouraged us in 1 Corinthians 13. So here he says, even in this kind of exhortation, it is from love. So we must wage our spiritual war from a place of love for our fellow man. We, we, we are doing this because we love others. Verses 15 to 18. He says, Now I urge you, brothers. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunas, Fortunatus. Fortunatus, and that just did not roll right out, and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. So even though Apollos won't come at this moment, he doesn't want them to be discouraged. He's like, I mean, they'd be like, oh, he asked Apollos to come, but he's not coming, and Paul's not going to be here until probably after everything in Ephesus taken care of. And what do we do? Like, what, you know, who do we have? Even though Apollos would not be able to make it, and Paul would see them later, he doesn't want them to get distracted with, with hearing for only those who are well-known. That is a danger in our culture. Thanks to the internet, you can find all the well known preachers and teachers out there, and you can feel like, well, our guy isn't, Rob's not an Andy Stanley. Rob's not a whatever. Like, I can find this preacher, I can find this preacher. Paul's saying, listen, you got these men in your fellowship. He's like, they come to refresh me, and you got worthy men. And we have worthy men and worthy women in our fellowship who can encourage and can build us up and can strengthen us. He says, don't always be looking out for the well-known ones, for those who are like, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. He's like, "You, you don't need us. When we're there, we can encourage, but you have worthy people in your own fellowship who can lead you in deeper relationship with Christ. He doesn't want them to miss that. He doesn't want us to feel like, well, church isn't all that it could be. I'm just going to go on the Internet and find all those things, the worship I want and the preaching I want. and that. It's like we're just not that fellow. No, he says here at the bridge, you have worthy people. Don't miss the fact that there's men and women here that can, that can pour into your life. Stephanus, along with, with two who are believed to be former servants of his, they took the correspondence back and forth to Paul. From the church. These men had direct connection to Paul. As, as the first converts in Achaia, 1 Corinthians 1:16, it says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. This guy was baptized by Paul. He has a direct relationship with Paul. Like he loves Paul. When they said who's going to deliver this letter, I'm sure he was like, I will take it. It's like, it doesn't matter. I'm going to go. I'm going to go see Paul. I will take that. Correspondence. And Paul is saying to them, look at this man and these men that have come with him. They, they're ministering to me. They're refreshing me. He says that their ministry had refreshed his spirit, and any ministry that the church should have done but did not do to help Paul, they made up for it. They they did everything on behalf of the church for Paul when they were there. He says they filled up what was lacking. So he wants them to see that these were men called as devoted servants to the church, to the saints. They made it their goal to serve the church as best they could. Paul says that when we see those who are living for Christ well and are loving the church as as these men and other fellow workers and laborers do, we should respect them. We should be subject to them. So being subject to them means that we put ourselves in a position to learn and grow from their ministry. We we let them serve in their giftings, and with joy we should receive the ministry that they do because they are changing us. They're, They're helping us. They're growing us. So Paul points out that these people are among them. So while they may not have Paul there or Apollos there, they do have very good examples to follow. These people should be recognized by the church. These can be ministry leaders. Thinking of our context, they could be ministry leaders, small group teachers, those who serve in hospitality well. They could be counselors. They could be ministry workers and so on. They are those who are walking well in their calling and doing these things that bring that example of what what we all should be doing. He says, when you see that, you should be subject to them. You should allow them to minister and bless you. Verses 19 to 24, he says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. So Paul gives his final farewell and sends greetings from those who who know the church in Corinth. These are people that have heard of the church. They know how to pray for the church. They've heard from Paul about it. They send their greetings. They want the church to be encouraged. Hey, we're praying for you. Our fellowship's praying for you. Aquila and Priscilla are spending time in Ephesus here with Paul, but they have a church in their own home these house churches typically were small fellowships, probably about 30 people or so in these homes. And, and here's another house church saying greetings to you, that, that we hear of you, we're praying for you, we want you to know that we, we recognize you. So the closing is a reminder that they're not alone. I mean, if you think about it, we're not alone. We here at the bridge are not laboring for the Lord alone. In just our circle around us, there are five other churches that 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 know us and pray for us. And there's probably more, but there's five in our in our converged circles. And in that circle of converged churches, there's two that often join in times of fellowship with us and with and we join in with them. I mean, I'm thinking of faith community in New Richmond. They know us and we know them, and we join in in fellowship with one another. We pray for their church, they pray for our church, those in a Baldwin that they, they join in ministry with us at times, and we have joined with them, and we know them, and they know us out of the converged churches. There's, there's faith in Hudson. There's the River Church. There's, there's others around us that know us. We're not alone. And they would send greetings, and they'd say, yeah, I know some of those people in your church. Yeah, send greetings to them. Tell them I'm praying for them. They're not alone. That's what Paul's saying. Look, you might be in Corinth, but there's a greater thing happening here. The relationships that the church in Corinth has and the relationships that we have should encourage us. They should help us to see the bigger picture of the kingdom of God growing all around us. It should keep us humble before the Lord, knowing that we are not more or less important than any other fellowship. We should be encouraged to live and work in our community in such a way that would be an example and a blessing to those other fellowships around us. Paul loved this fellowship. When he writes to them, he makes sure to point out that it is he who is writing to them. That, that personal touch is important. That is what relationship is about right there, the personal touches, personally doing life with one another. That is where All these final blessings are couched in relationship. So if we want to make the greatest impact, then we need to be in relationships, and we need to foster and grow relationships. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we'll take the Lord's table. And that Lord's table is built on a relationship, a relationship that you have with Christ it's his blood that was spilt on the cross for our sin it was his body that was broken for us and he calls us into relationship with him and as he calls us into new relationship with him we remember the gospel here we celebrate the gospel we remember that he is coming back to what to be in relationship with us and during the waiting he's given us one another the church we we grow and we encourage each other we we serve one another So as we take the Lord's table, we realize that it's not just the gospel, but there's more to it. It's talking about the relationship we have with the Lord and with each other. It's a celebration of the new life that was given to us and the relationships that are redeemed and restored through his work on the cross for us. And so as you come this morning, pray that there be nothing between you and God, that the Spirit would reveal that, and you would confess it, that you would come saying, Lord, I don't want to live in that anymore. And I come now for thanksgiving, saying thank you for for the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you that you're coming again. Come with a clean heart. And then pray that He would help you through the Spirit to realize where you are to be in the fellowship, what your calling is, what you are to be doing, And then how you can encourage others in relationship. Ask the Spirit to show you those things. If you don't know, ask. (laughs) All who will ask will receive. So if you ask the Spirit, Lord, what would you have me do? He will answer it. He will answer it. Um, We have the Martins with us today. Do you have all the Martins or corals out? corals out. We have most of the Martins with us today, Um, and they are new covenant partners here at the bridge. And so uh, when you are ready to come down, uh, I will serve communion to you. Um, But let's stand as a fellowship, let's pray, and then uh, we can take communion. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for all that you do, how you love us, how you're have brought us into a relationship with one another, but most importantly, with you. And so in this moment, we come to the Lord's table and we remember the new life that we have in Christ. And we ask that we would come with a clean heart, that we would put away sin and those things that divide us from you, that we would be joined close together. And Father, show us, show us how we can minister well to each other, that we can maximize the joy and the love of this fellowship and that we can see the kingdom of a God reach into our community. And I thank you for the Martin family. I thank you that they have come into fellowship uh, here at the bridge, that they, they want to grow here. They want to grow us as we want to grow them. So would you bless them as they come and take this first communion as covenant partners. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.